I, I am so, so very glad uh, to be speaking this morning, and uh, uh, I promise I won't go long, but I really feel like the Lord has put something really cool on my heart to share with you this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm the youth pastor here, and uh, young adult, and uh, uh, a young married, and uh, I also sweep up from time to time. So I am so uh, excited to be filling in for pastor. Please keep pastor in prayer as he is in... Uh, I don't know where he is right now. Uh, he's not talking to us, but uh, he's probably in Italy somewhere uh, drinking very, very strong coffee. So, so it should be a good time. Well, the title of my message this morning is The Lord Hath Need of It. And uh, if you will turn in your Bibles to Luke 19, uh, verse 29, and I'll, I'll give computer folk a, a second to pull that up. Luke 19, 29 in the Word today. This is... Um, this is fun speaking before adults because you know where stuff is in a Bible and you actually have one of these. This is, uh, youth, this is what Bibles used to look like before they were in your phones. And uh, it, it's really cool to, um, to speak with adults who also know how to look for a passage in the Bible as opposed to typing it in. They're like, where's the keyboard? You know, um, Luke 19, for those of you that are uh, using the Bible in the Pew Youth, it's on the right side. Luke 19, 29, and it starts like this. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord hath need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus upon it and he rode along and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice. Now this is not 12 disciples, mind you. This was all of those who had pledged to follow him at this point. A massive amount of people. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Well, close your eyes and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you that you are a God who has need of us. We are not sitting on the mantle. We are not a shelf somewhere in your collection, but that you truly are interested in the lives that we lead and involving us in this. Father, I pray that today we would not hear Ryan or, or uh, a sermon, but that we would all walk away together and say, God has spoken to me. Truly, I've heard from God. Father, if you can't speak through me, speak in spite of me. Let your word go out today. Change us in some way for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' awesome name, amen. Well, I was uh, a youth pastor in college, and uh, the median age was 60 four years old in the church. So there was uh, two youth, and uh, uh, they were both wonderful. And the senior pastor said to me, Ryan, what I want you to do is build the youth group. And I said, sounds good. I had no idea what I was doing, and I uh, hadn't taken many uh, real classes yet. And, and he said, uh, uh, go for it. And I said, how? And he said, go for it. And so I did. And uh, I said, give me a bus and uh, uh, some fuel money goes, done. And we dredged the streets for kids. And this was um, perhaps not my best moment. It was uh, not something I would, I would do nowadays, but we would just bring kids 
to church. We wouldn't ask their parents. We would see them on the side of the road. A creepy old van would drive up. People would point their head out and say, come with me, and they would get in our van. And, and so that is where we found kids. Uh, uh, future youth pastors, bad idea, right? But we, we, we filled our youth room full of just random kids. We had gang fights. We had, I mean, they were just chewing on the pews, but they, they somehow, somehow came to Jesus, and God used uh, a 19-year-old kid who had no idea what he was doing and his college buddies to, to, to show some love in this central Florida place. And God is interesting in how he uses things. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed this, that God gets to use what God gets to use because he's like, what's the word, God. He, he, he gets what he wants. Have you ever noticed that? Now this story is really intriguing, and, and you, you might not find a, a Christmas story, uh, it's kind of a Christmas message tonight, and, or this morning, and, and this, this Christmas message coming out of a Palm Sunday story, but what I want to uh, bring out to you is something really interesting. There is in this story, this is a well-worn story, you've heard it probably at least once a year, as long as you've been a Christian, and, and this story Something struck me the other day as I was reading this story, and I think a key character has been skipped over. I, I have never personally been in a service where I heard this preached about, and I want to wonder who thought of the donkey owner in this story? Where did he go? Where did he come from? You know, you never hear anybody talk about the guy who owned the donkey, and yet the donkey came from somewhere, right? In fact, the, the Bible talks about him. So I thought, what, what, okay, let's talk about that. What is a donkey? What is a donkey really? In, in olden times, it was a means of conveyance. You'd ride around on a donkey. It was a valuable possession. But ultimately, what a donkey really was, was a working vehicle. Where are my truck owners in here? Who, who owns a truck? Come on, Pastor Hal's got a great truck. I know Lee has a truck bigger than portions of this church. There, there are some truck owners in here. And what does a truck really represent besides obvious manliness? It represents a donkey. So this, 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 this donkey to me, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining it as like a beautiful, brand new F-150 pickup truck. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know, a good old, big old Ford truck. You know, the kind you'd see north of 69 with tires bigger than your, your tall. And, and, and this is a limited, you know, starting at 53 grand, the, the big stuff. All the truck bits and pieces. I, I don't know anything about cars. I just know when one breaks, I'm like, oh no, because it's really expensive. All the expensive bits, you know? You push buttons and things happen. I'm talking about good stuff. So... Jesus says to his disciples, hey, fellas, uh, why don't you take a drive down the road, go into town. And when, when you see, uh, you're going to take a left, you're going to go two blocks, take a right, and then you're going to come into a neighborhood. At this neighborhood, halfway through the neighborhood on the right side of the road, you're going to see a bright red, candy apple red F-150 pickup truck, and there a man has ever driven it. You're going to look at this, and you're going to then proceed to hotwire said pickup truck. As you are hotwiring the pickup truck, if anybody asks, hey, where are you going with this brand new pickup truck worth a quarter of my house, you are going to say these words and don't mingle and don't mess up the words, don't muddle it. Say, friend, the Lord hath need of it. There are moments, aren't there? There are moments when God asks us to do things, and we're like, yeah, that's like not such a good idea, God. I'm going to help you out here. I know like it. I know like it lots, okay? I am not going to go steal a truck, Father. <laughs> no, I didn't say steal. Did, did I say steal? No, I didn't say steal. I said get in a truck and hotwire it. No, don't steal it. How can this story start here? Because Jesus is... is, is telling these guys, look, if you do this, if you do this, as you drive the truck away, or as you, you go to drive the truck away, and the owner comes out, you say these words, and he will let you have it. 
Now it's interesting, the words are very interesting. The words are not, Jesus of Nazareth needs it. Jesus the Messiah needs it. You know, any, any Jew in town would know about Jesus, they would know about the Messiah, and there is a, a pretty good inkling that they could say, hmm, okay, sounds good. Hey, you need it, you need it. It's Jesus, right? No, no, instead they say the Lord hath need of it. So I think this story has to start somewhere earlier. Because nobody gets to that level with God. This level of giving, there's, there's got to be some sort of prelude. And, and I, I think I found it. This is a matter of pure conjecture, okay? So bear with me. But I do believe that when I read in the Bible, I see these kinds of things over and over and over again. So I think you can support this. The last time that Jesus was in this village, the last time he was in this neck of the woods, something miraculous happened. We see in Matthew 9, uh, uh, he, he, he was working a miracle, and it says, While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Now, we do not fully understand this. The reason we don't fully understand this is, is actually pretty simple. The we're not Israelis, we're not Jewish people. The culture is an important factor in this story. This young man, very young man, college age probably, had begun to manifest in a demonic way. The Bible does not tell us how or why or when it started. But it, it does say that he, he began to, um, to, be able to, uh, to be unable to see or even speak Imagine this, the world closing in on you, your sight, your senses, your ability to communicate, and this was in a time much, much earlier than social services. There was no fallback. There was no one to take care of him, to cower in the corners. He'd sleep at night in the archway of the city, and... and Every once in a while, someone would have pity on him and throw him a piece of moldering bread, which he'd, he'd snatch up, his hunger overtaking him. He'd scarf it down like an animal. He acted like an animal. He seemed like an animal. And so here's this man, and, 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 and God... You, you read these stories, and you're like, oh, God healed him, and God healed that, but we don't really put ourselves in the stories too often, do we? But imagine this man... He's cowering in his demonized nightmare. And suddenly through the, the fog, the, the, the glaze, the blur of his vision, he sees movement. Lots of movement. as a parade of people. They start shouting. And what? They're, they're talking about someone coming. You see, everywhere Jesus went, he collected these crowds, you know. And... He's cowering in the, the darkest corner he can find on the street in that moment. And suddenly he notices that the crowd has stopped shifting. He looks down. And what, he, what does he see? He sees a pair of sandaled feet. Not daring to look up. He hears a voice. A voice like that of a thousand waterfalls immediately arrests him. It's like his whole body has gone rigid and frozen with ice. And the voice says, out! Loose him! And it, it's, it's almost like the ice has now been replaced by fire. And his whole body is steaming. It feels so weird, so unnatural, and, and yet he can feel the blood rushing back in and the, the nerves giving him the ability to move, and, 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 and he, he regains control over his, his hands and his feet, and suddenly that blur, that, that, that fuzz begins to coalesce and, into vision, and he can start to see again, and suddenly he's free, miraculously, wonderfully free. He can think. For the first time in a long time, he can focus. The day of reality has dawned, and a world which was just a complete nightmare has finally set. 
Can you understand this? Can you hang on to this? Out of darkness. It's like he was dead and is now alive. Just like that. A total release from everything that had held on to him. Can you, can you capture that? Some of you can not only capture that, you can mirror it in your own life, can't you? You can think back to a moment in your life. Maybe you were a young woman hurting and in pain and, and Jesus got a hold of you and you were never the same. Maybe you were, you were a middle-aged man and, and, and the, the, the control of alcoholism and violence and rage rushed through you just like it did every Saturday night and then one day in a moment of capitulation, oh, all right, you go to church. You don't want to go to church, but you do, and you show up. And in that moment, God says, I am organizing everything. I've got all the pieces here, and this is the day of the Lord for you, sir. And God has changed you from a surly, old, grumpy dude into a man of God. How do I know this? Because the, a man of God in my own home, I just described his name was Al Jansen's my grandfather, and that was exactly his story. One, his nagging wife, why don't you go to church? You should go to church. Why don't you go to church? She got radically saved out of a, 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 a weak, worthless faith and into the bright light, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and big Al dragged his Six foot five, 300 pound self, not 300 pound heavy, 300 pound massive, right? And he sits down and the whole pew goes, you know, this huge guy. And a man calls out, you, sir, I'd like to invite you to the love of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, that big trucker broke. And he'd never been the same. Never been the same. I was 18 years old. I was at Bible college. And I was depressed, sinful, angry, rebellious, mad, fighting the call of God on my life. Then during a convocation service, which we all had to attend, or we'd have a $100 fine. I'm paying you 40 grand. What more do you want? Christian school? I stomped down to the altar. Fine, God. Why don't you do something? Right? Who does that? You know what I mean? You see in the movies, people are like, oh, you know, and you hear the preachers talk, and they're like, and then God got, you know, my heart, and all this. Nope. What do you got? This little stumpy president of the university comes over with little sausage fingers, and he looks just like Jack Nicholson, and he plants his hand right on the top of my head, and he only could do that because there was a really tall stage, and he goes, there's a root of shame rooted through the top of your head down to the bottom of your feet, and in the name of Jesus, I cast that out. I'm telling you, I may think that I had been filled with the Holy Spirit at 13, but that was nothing compared to the moment in Bible college. It was as if black and white had gone to technicolor, and my life has never been the same. Praise God. He does things like this. He changes people. He fixes them. You know exactly what I'm talking about if it's happened to you. And friend, if it has not happened to you, hold on to your shoes. Because they will probably shoot off of you. God will not let you go. If you're that grumpy 300-pound guy, I would be able to see you. But I don't see big Al-type-sized people in here. But if, if you are here today and you're like, fine, that does not like scare God at all. Nope. No problemo. That's Spanish for nah. -uh. And God will get a hold of you. I remember the moment. You know, we make this idea of lordship, this thing we gotta work at. You know what I'm talking about? We gotta like grind it out like it's some sort of grain. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that at all. I, I think you cannot look into the face of the Almighty God 
and say, please forgive me, wash me, my sin. Uh, so I don't, you know, don't want to go to hell. I don't want to die. But don't, like, ask me for anything, you know. Just save my eternal soul with the blood of your son. What kind of, what kind of salvation theology is that? Out of darkness into life. I don't think that God expects anything but total surrender. We don't have weak grace. Come on down. Come to the altar. Have a prayer or two. Then go. Bless God. Pray with the pastor. Out you go. Go eat lunch. I'm sorry, but that dog won't hunt. God ain't impressed. There's got to be a moment... And if there isn't a moment, then it hasn't happened. Don't tell me you've met God and nothing happened. A dear friend of mine has been uh, uh, going to this young adult church, and he came uh, and was telling me all about it while I was, uh, I was in Florida, and he's all excited at this big church in Orlando, and please, God, it's so cool, and what God's doing. I'm like, oh, man, I'm excited for you. And he's like, yeah, I'm on leadership there. I'm like, what's going on, man? And he goes, man, everybody's coming to the church. And I'm like, great. And then he's like, we're building, and it's growing, and all this stuff, this big young adult church. And he goes, you know what's so cool? And I said, what's so cool? He's like, we have strippers. And I'm like, finish that sentence. What does that mean, you know? And he goes, attending. I'm like, okay, all right, good. That's not like on the program, right? Uh, no, okay. And he goes, yeah, you know, we have alcoholics and strip and all that stuff. And I said, I said, wow, that's wonderful. What's God doing in their life? And he goes, well, you know, they're coming. And I said, yeah, but are they like st still stripping? Well, yeah, but God's working on their heart and, and all that kind of stuff. Hey, hey, don't get, don't get self-righteous on me, Ryan, okay? Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners, and I looked at him and I said, yeah, but after he hung out with them, they stopped. Amen? There has to be a difference. There has to be a difference. You see, when you are faced with Jesus himself, you either have the authentic, real deal, and you fall on your knees before him, and God the face of God burns away all those little stupid things and all that darkness and all that sin, or you have not met Jesus. That's the way that like works. God, God does things in our lives. He changes us. Does that mean we don't suffer with sin? No. Does that mean we don't struggle with our addictions? No. Just because you can have a soul experience doesn't mean the body doesn't still want nicotine or, or heroin or, or the sinful ways. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when God changes your heart, guess what? The heart is changed. You guys are good at math. I like it. I'm telling you, there is a difference when God gets into our lives. Now, I wonder what he said. Right? Do you wonder what he said? God picks this young boy up, stinks to high heaven. He hasn't shaved since when he first started to grow a beard. Emaciated, skinny. Got that crazy look still in his eyes. But the first eyes he sees when he looks up is, guess who? Jesus Christ himself. That friend will change you. He goes, oh, oh, thank you, thank you, Th anything you want, I'm yours, I live for you, and, and Jesus is careful. It is better not to have made a promise than to make a promise to God and break it. He goes, anything you want, I'm your man, I am your man. And Jesus, I'm just... It's just conjecture, but I could see him doing this, couldn't you? Jesus looks down in the man's eyes and says, okay, I accept. There will come a time. Two men will show up, and they will say, the Lord hath need of it. Those very words, nothing more, nothing less. And whatever you have, wherever you're at, whatever the Lord hath need of it, Give it. Be it. 
make it happen. And he says, anything. I swear, anything. And God took that ratty, skinny, smelly guy, cleaned him up. He found himself a little country church. He started to attend. He worked real hard. He became a Royal Ranger commander, or whatever they called it back then. Then he, 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 he got a job roofing. It was hard work in the, in the sun of Israel. And, and yet he worked really hard and became a foreman and, and eventually got to a point where he, he found a real cute girl downtown Jerusalem. And he married her. She was a typist. And one day, he said, baby, I think God's leading me. We're going to start our own company. We're going to go for it. And they did. And they started their own company. And it, it was, it was a, a Greater Jerusalem Construction Company Incorporated. And they started working hard. He launched this company as a sole proprietor. Uh, uh, his wife was the secretary, office manager, saleswoman. And God began to bless him. Oh, God began to multiply him, build him up. Isn't it amazing that when God puts his foot down on something, isn't that amazing? You ever watch that happen? You ever watch that happen, maybe in your own life or a friend's life or your family's life, where God says, mm, okay, and bam, the doors start opening, start clicking. He hires a CPA. Gets himself a manager and then a general manager. And one day the CPA brings him into his office and says, Hey, Greg, I need to talk to you, man. He goes, Yeah. He goes, You're doing real good. He goes, Oh, thanks. He goes, No, I mean you're doing really good. Is there anything you need to like purchase? Is there anything you want? And he looks at him and he goes, You know what? There is something I want. He'd been driving around an old 57 Chevy. And he said, I want a brand new truck. And he goes, well, you should like go get one. So he walks into the nearest Ford dealership. Salesman standing there, hello, sir, how can I help you? And he goes, I would like a brand new F-150. I want it loaded. I want the duotone leather. I want the speaker system. I want everything. I want, I want the little ramp thing to come down when I open the door so I can get up. I want heated everything. I want, the, I want everything heated. I want the antenna to be heated. And he starts to pick out, and the salesman is like, bless God, this is a Christmas miracle. And he said, and how will we be financing this, sir? And Craig looks at him and says, financing, son, I will be paying cash. He goes, bless God, calls his wife, you, we can get that pool. He gets into his brand new truck. He's driving it down the road real slow. He's driving through his neighborhood. His neighbor's raking leaves and he notices him driving by. Hi. That one old mean nasty neighbor of his, hey you, I love you. Driving his truck in, he pulls it into the, the front yard. All the neighbors come around, they're all looking at it. And he's just sitting up on the porch with his best friend. All of a sudden, two preachers walk by. And they're just looking at it. Hey, Greg, what are them two preachers doing in front of your, front of your truck? Oh, let them look. Two couple of poor preachers, country folk, they never seen a truck like that. Greg, they, they're lifting up the hood. Well, of course they're lifting up the hood. I've never seen an engine that big. Huge, big old engine. Greg, I, I believe that they're hot wiring your truck. <laughs> Greg runs up. Hey, what are you fellas doing? They just finished shutting the door. They're getting it into reverse. What do you think you boys are doing with my brand new truck? I mean, the sticker is still on the window. How do we know that the donkey had never been ridden? The Bible says so. And they look at him and they go, oh, <clears throat> the, Lord, the Lord hath need of it. 
And suddenly, as if an old school VCR, which had filmed his entire life, hit rewind and went all the way back to that moment of darkness and desolation and wickedness and aloneness. And then he saw the blur begin to clarify and he looked down and saw the feet and he looked up and he had his experience with Jesus all over again and he saw those two beautiful eyes. And he looked at those two boys, these young country preachers, about to drive away with his brand new pickup. He said, take it. Take it. Whatever God needs, he shall have. Because once you've had an experience with Christ, God can ask for whatever he wants. It's all his, isn't it? This is a challenge to Peter and John's faith to ask this. I mean, there is a kind of naked, raw, bold obedience that God just loves. I mean, if we take it down to brass tacks, Julie and I believe in tithing. We really do. I believe, I honestly believe that if you give out of angry, begrudging obedience, I believe that God will still bless you. I think he will. I think you can go, fine, write the check. I think God will still go, all right. Is that the best? No. Is that the purest form of giving? No. But I think there is something with people who have come to a moment with God where whatever the yoke is, it's bearable. I believe that unless you come to that point of humble gratitude, it won't be ties. It'll be anything. It'll be getting up to go to church. I think it'll be picking out ties and ironing your shirt. I think it'll be dressing the boys or the girls in the house. I think all of the, all of the uh, big gives and all those, I think all of those things will grate on you. I think going to a missions trip, I think hearing of other people go on a missions trip will grate on you. Well, there's better uses for the money than that. Don't you know I've heard that argument a thousand times. Let me tell you something, friends. If taking a bunch of teenagers on a missions trip to Mexico actually changed Mexico, we wouldn't have problems with them beheading people. It's not about a bunch of little junior hires singing and dancing in front of the Mexican children. God changes their hearts. 97% of people who become full-time missionaries were called, guess where? On a short-term missions trip. 97%. God works how God works. But if we don't have that experience with Christ, it begins to get old. We begin to get another big give. I big gave two years ago. It was biggest giving. I mean, you know, how much do they need? But we ask that, don't we? Or not you, me, not me. I sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. When you fully encompass and you fully absorb your sin not in part but the whole so we were scraping the alleys for teenagers i mean we might as well had a snowplow and we were we 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 found this one big old boy and he was just a big old cornbread boy he was was corn-fed boy he was wearing a, a pair of bibs and no shirt and no shoes walking on the side of the street i thought hey there's one Let's go get him. 
I got out and I said, hey man, what's your name? Sean. I don't know how you spell that, but I think there's a lot of A's in there. Sean. All right, Sean. How you doing, man? Where's your mom? She behind me? She was. She was that big. And I'm like, oh, okay. A little Hispanic lady. And uh, uh, I had an interpreter with me, and so we were talking. And, and, and she, she uh, and this is Central Florida, and she, she said, um, take him. Take him. That's all, that's all she knew in English. Take him. Take him. I'm like, all right, cool. We took him. Drove him to church that night. There was some donuts in the foyer. He didn't want to come into church. He just wanted to sit there and eat donuts. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, maybe there's some like spiritual osmosis action going on. You know, you're close to the church. That'll work. So we had service going on. And then uh, near the middle of my message, he kicks in the front doors. He starts clumping down the hallway or the aisleway in his boots. And the whole church goes, you know, and this is a rowdy group. And that's how scary he was. He sits down on the front pew. Folds his arms and just stares at me like that, you know, just fueled on donuts, right? And he's just staring at me, and I'm like, all right, let's finish this message. I finish this message, and I, I give an altar call, and I say, all right, if you want Jesus, come down and stand up here. Uh, he, you know, there's something cool when people don't understand how church works, right? He does this. He does one of these moves. He stands up, and he stares at me. And I'm like... All right, close your eyes. We're going to pray, you know? With tears streaming down his eyes. I prayed with him and I said, How you doing, Sean? He said, You see this stain on my shirt? I said, Yeah, I see that. He's like, It's not my blood. He said, I, I beat my sister up this morning. He said, I ran out of my pills. He's drugged up for seven or eight different psychological issues. I don't know if any of them or all of them were real, but that's how we treat them when we don't have Jesus. We just assume everything's wrong and we pill them up. Hey, psychological issues are psychological issues, but there's something that Jesus can do that no pill can, and that's change the heart. I put my hand on his big old meaty head and led him to Jesus and I am telling you the world changed for Sean he became my best youth leader he was helping me out I still follow up with him and I'm telling you that when Jesus gets a hold of somebody it changes them forever and he began to give and he began to push his life into a place of glory and majesty and where he lifted up Jesus you see Letourneau says not how much to give God I'm not afraid of how much to give God. I'm afraid of how much I dare to keep for myself. This is not a message on tithing. This is a Christmas message on giving. I find myself asking, how much do I dare let Jesus have of my time, right? Don't you do that? How much do I dare let him have of my money or my resources or, or my talents or my attention or my focus or my energy? But when I ask that question, I found that I'm actually more unhappy and miserly when I do so. I challenge you. I challenge you to give and give deep. The Bible has funny math. The Bible does not say give a million dollars, does it? In fact, the only number we really have is the tithe, and, 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 and the Bible's saying that's a starting point. But what's interesting is, is a, a young man who gets an allowance of $100 a year, and he gives $10, and an unbelievably rich man who makes a, a couple of million dollars a year, and he gives 10%, guess what? In God's eyes, they both gave the same amount. God does not look at the young man and say, 10 bucks? Like we do. Ten bucks? I don't know what Jack and Logan are going to get me for Christmas, but I bet mom's going to buy it. You know what I'm saying? But if, if the boys make me something, I guarantee it's going to look like garbage. They're terrible artists. I've seen some of this stuff. It's rough. But I love it. I love it. God looks, God looks at the busy CFO 
who spends her time hanging out with a bunch of scraggly youth group kids and, and honors that. And then there's people who have nothing but time and yet you don't see them giving their time or their talent or their energy. What is that? I'll tell you what that is. It is this, a miserly approach to your response to the face of Jesus. I guarantee if you give time or anything, you'll never have a deficit. God will always reward you. I find it interesting that the busiest people personally are often the most active at Lakeside. Have you noticed this? The people who are like crazy busy, they have like 18 kids. Why do you have 18 kids? What's wrong with you? And then they're giving all this time. I was in, I'll close with this. I was in Oiti, Kenya. And the Rift Valley of Kenya is uh, a desert region. There's like a crack in the earth that runs the length of Africa. And this, this crack of earth is uh, home to uh, the Maasai tribe. They live in this dirt. We went out there, uh, the organization I was a part of was building a school and a church. And they had asked me to go along and document it, and, and, uh, and so I did. As we were in there, uh, the huts, the homes were made of, of uh, manure which is exactly as pleasant as it sounds. And, and, and you, they would invite you in, and there was a hole this big for the window and the smoke. And I was just like, you know, and they're cooking inside of this uh, uh, smelly house. And I'm just like, oh, oh, please, God, help me. And, and, and we're in there, and, and when you're filmmaking, you have about 50 pounds of gear on your backpack and, and the cameras on your shoulder and that kind of stuff. And I like hot weather. That's, that's my thing. But this is like... Oh, hot and dry. Don't tell me it's a dry heat, all you Arizonans. I love you guys, but come on. At a certain point, it's just hot. And, and so we're out there, and I'm just getting more and more dehydrated. And uh, you know how when you're out in the heat, you don't want to eat. You don't get hungry. You know what I'm talking about? And I see them leading a goat. Leading because it like has legs and is walking. You with me? And they're leading said goat to a tree. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is not going to end well, but I'm going to capture it on camera anyway. And uh, they proceed to turn the goat into meat, and um, they're using a machete. And the whole, you know, I, won't, I don't want to gross you out. The whole deal is like very, very not OSHA approved. And, uh, and they're cooking it over this stick fire and all this stuff, and the whole deal, right? And I'm like, where are your gloves? And uh, so they bring us in. They bring us in to this big feast, and, and they put this before us, these, these uh, ribs of, of goat, and, uh, uh, and they say, eat, eat, eat. And I'm like, mm, good, <laughs> real good. I'm a little upset. And the missionary looks over at me and goes, eat all of it. Thank you. We will definitely eat all of it. You know, and I'm like... I don't know what the tribal appropriations here are, but they have spears, right? So I'm like, yeah, yummy. And I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm tearing up. It is, it is like Pastor Hal Fresh, you know what I'm saying? Like, some people love, like, animals and stuff. I would go bow hunting if I could shoot an arrow at a deer, and out of the other side of the deer as the bow and arrow came out would come a stake, you know? I would do that, but all the other, not so much. And so I'm like, yummy, and I'm eating, and, and I'm just thinking of all I've recorded the last 20 minutes, and, and um, it's, it's, uh, it's not a pleasant experience. And I'm choking it down, and I'm just like, what was that all about? And the chief sits down next to us and he says, we don't, in his broken English, we don't have any money. We are simple shepherds. This is our best gift to such honored guests. They gave everything they had. These skinny, bony, scrawny little critters in the desert during a drought. And they gave. This Christmas, God may indeed present to you a moment where he says, 
I have need of it. How will you respond? If you would close your eyes all over this place, we're going to end right here. There are moments in our lives, there are moments in our lives that are filled with pain and sorrow and frustration and anger, and there's moments filled with beauty and joy and love and power. And all of those moments are prescribed and ordained and owned and watched over by God himself. And there are moments in our lives when in our sickness and depravity and sin, we open our eyes and down at at our knees is the feet of Jesus standing over us. We begin to lift our head And when our vision finally clears, we see the brown, beautiful, loving, non-judgmental eyes of Christ himself. And he casts out all the darkness and fear and horror that was before. And we are never the same. I want to speak to one very specific group of people in here today. If you have not had an experience with Christ like that, if you haven't been changed to the core of who you are, if you don't know Christ in an intimate way, not just a theoretical way, I've heard the name Jesus, but an intimate way of knowing who Jesus is, with every eye closed and every head bowed, would you just do this? Would you pop your head up, open your eyes, and make eye contact with me and say, yeah, that's me. Okay, thank you. 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 Up in the balcony. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. repeat the sinner's prayer it's pretty simple except for the fact that it's one of the most profound experiences you may ever have if you have never met Jesus Christ before don't pray a prayer out loud in silly repetition but say the words as though you are talking to Christ himself and I promise you Jesus will change you forever repeat this prayer everybody so nobody feels left out dear Jesus I love you. I'm in sin. I'm not perfect. And I've messed up. But Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Change me forever. Jesus, I live for you. Jesus, whatever you need, you can have it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Will you give a big hand for those who have given their life to Christ? I applaud you. I'm so proud of you. Your life is different forever. Your life is different forever. Now, after the service, I would like you to do one more thing, and that's come up here. Pastor Hal has a book he wants to give to you. It's, it's called what now? It's a next steps. It's a, it's a way to think about what God is going to do in your life. Now, you are literally different forever. I have one more challenge though. Before we end, I have one more challenge and that is this. If you have had an experience with God, if you have had the life-changing, life-infusing, soul-flourishing experience of looking into Jesus' eyes and you have not said, God, whatever you want, whatever you need, however I can live, however I can be, if you want my truck, if you want my life, if you want my job, if you want my house, if you want my family, if you want my time, if you want my energy, I give it all to you. If you have not done that, friend, you are not living in the freedom and joy and there I say it dangerous excitement of being a part of the kingdom of God it is both terrifying because you never know what God's gonna do but there will come a moment where you'll be at Walmart or Costco and God will say right here right now go talk to her I have a testament to that he's done it and yes friend it is terrifying 
But then, and I'm telling you, in the middle of Walmart, you go, how are you doing? You seem to be having a rough day. I just wanted to tell you something. I know this is super creepy, and I sound super weird. I, and I'm sorry, the Lord hath need of it, right? Can I have your truck kind of feeling? I've got to tell you something. I feel like God is telling me to say he loves you. Is that weird? I'm sorry. And the lady starts crying at the checkout counter at Walmart, and all the cranky people are behind you. You go, shut up. She's having a moment with God. You know, and then here she is. God does these kinds of things because God does not care about the line at Walmart. He cares about the souls waiting in line. If you have not had an opportunity to live dangerously, I don't care how old you are or how long you've known Christ. Some of you have known Christ longer than I've been alive, but I challenge you today, sometime throughout this day, I want you to say to God, God, if you have need of it, it's yours. The things that we hold too tight actually hold us. But when you let go, God begins to give and give and give and give. I gave my boy a thing of bread to feed to a swan at pastor's house. You know what that goofy little two-year-old did? He took the whole bread and dumped it. Oh my God! He's like, and the swan was like, you are awesome. But you know, that's how we should live. That's how we should live. Oh God, thanks, yeah! Oh, more time? We're right. Give, and it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. It's a promise from God himself. Amen? God, I pray for my friends that this Christmas season would be a time of deep and unrepented giving. That we would give as all of we have, as all of we will, and as all of we can. God, I pray that this people, this, this group of followers of Christ known as Lakeside would commit in our heart and we would say the dangerous words, if the Lord hath need of it, by my heart and my soul, he shall get it, he shall have it. I'll go do it, I'll give it up, I'll show up, and I will speak up in any way and in all ways if I can be of use. Why? Because I've had an experience with the Lord God Almighty. Can you say amen to that? We love you so much. Thank you for coming. And remember this Christmas season, there may come a moment when God says, the Lord hath needed it. Well, give somebody a big hug and say you look so much better in December than November. We love you. Have a great, great weekend.